0: Father, thank you that we have the confidence that you hear us and that you're willing to listen to us and that you're willing to answer our our needs even even when we can't even ask them. And you know them before we even open our mouths to ask them. Thank you that we can trust you. And thank you, Lord, that you want us to pray to you because you desire to be with us and us with you. Thank you for this time in your word. Thank you for being faithful to send it to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, would you please get a Bible if you have one or one nearby you and open up to the book of Psalms? We're on the home stretch in our eight week series of the book of Psalms called Worship Is, and we're going to be in Psalm 136 today. Psalm 136. Um, I mentioned the holiday festival, and we raised money. And I, um, we have uh, resident popcorn makers, um, and uh, I I spent some time with them, Bill and Evelyn, uh, before we were making bags and bags of popcorns just to keep to kind of get ready to keep up with the demand. And uh, we were talking about how certain smells. I mean, obviously, making popcorn, you got some smell, smells, certain sounds, certain sights, inextricably. Tie with our memories, how certain things come to mind. And there are those things in life that are made more vivid by our senses being involved. So when we hear Thanksgiving, all sorts of things can come to mind, don't they? I mean, imagine the smells of the soon to come holiday. I know, this is bad. It's not even lunchtime. So what's your favorite? Turkey, fresh rolls with butter, honey ham, yams with marshmallows, pumpkin pie, apple pie, stuffing. My wife and kids made apple pie last week, and oh, praise God, did it smell good. And it was good. Now, before you check out and start thinking about lunch... Have you noticed that when we enjoy something, whether it's good company, good memories, or good food, we have something grows within us, and it's not just nostalgia, It's, it's a spirit of gratitude. We want to give thanks. We even just want to say thank you to the person who passed us our favorite food, or who made it. And this isn't unique to us today. And in fact, even in the midst of this nation's civil war, President Abraham Lincoln, in establishing the national holiday that we are going to celebrate Thursday, Lord willing, said this in his address. He says, The year that is drawing toward its close has been filled with blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come. Others have been added, which are of so extraordinary nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and soften even the heart, which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. So as we've gone through this series in the book of Psalms, we are worshipers to the core. We're designed to worship. We smell in order to worship. We taste in order to worship. We hear in order to worship. We touch in order to worship. You name it, it's designed for worship. And we're designed to worship someone or something. And who, that, who or what that someone or something is, is of chief importance. That's one of the biggest questions you, that you can ask in life. Who are you worshiping? Where is your worshiping going? When you taste that delicious Thanksgiving food, who are you ultimately giving thanks for and to? So, with that in mind, hopefully you've gotten to Psalm 136, and I would invite you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. And we're going to do something a little different. I don't typically do this, but we're going to read this Psalm in a way that was, the way it was likely done several thousand years ago, where the leader of the, of the choir, or the group, says one line, and, the, and the, the group repeats the following line. So I'm going to read the first half of each verse, and you guys are going to read, For his steadfast love endures forever. You're going to read it out loud, Okay? So hang in there and actually keep going and actually make it even more enthusiastic as you go. We're, doing, we're going to do this 26 times. You ready? So we're going to be, hopefully be in a better position of giving thanks at the end of this psalm. Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To him who alone does does great wonders. To him who by understanding made the heavens. To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and the stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt. And brought Israel out from among them. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings, Sihon king of the Amorites, and Og king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant. It is He who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for His steadfast love endures forever. You can have a seat. Now, before we explore this psalm further, why did I have this have us read this aloud? And it's not just for doing something in the old tradition. There's a couple of reasons. One of the ways we can better remember God's word is if we speak it aloud, and we we repeat it a lot. You guys had one line. Hopefully you got it 26 times. How often do you and I, or, and then another reason, how often do you or I take the opportunity to open our mouths during the week and speak God's word aloud to one another? You know, Ephesians 5 verse 19 says this, Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Do you know what we just did here? We obeyed God's word. Praise him. We obeyed a portion of scripture this morning. Worship is thanksgiving. And we're going to see that we have a lot to give thanks for. Now, I need to remind us and warn us as we get going here because you know how I mentioned all the delicious food, the smells, the memorable aromas? Where do you think that comes from? For the little of us, littlest of us, it may seem, and it seemed to me when I was a kid, that the food just appeared out of nowhere. And I got to enjoy it. But that's not really the case. Now that you're the one on the other end slaving the kitchen for hours and hours to make something delicious. People put the food on the table. People who love good food and, Lord willing, who love you put it there. And as we are worshipers who are to give thanks, we don't just give thanks for things. Giving thanks requires an object. And when we are are given gifts, we're given gifts by someone. We're given gifts by a giver. And this psalm makes it clear as it starts with the command, give thanks to the Lord God. Why? For he is good. And that's where we are to start. Thank God for God. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of God. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords. It may seem strange, but it is real. God, because of himself, is to be thanked. He is to be praised. He is to be worshipped. This, this is huge. Do you know that God himself, apart from anything he does, is worthy of our praise, is worthy of our worship? So much of the time we say thank you to God or we say thank you to other people because of something they've done. And it's not wrong for us to do that. We should do that. But have we missed opportunities to give thanks to God because we've not taken the time to stand back, so to speak, and admire Him for Him, who He is? Or He doesn't have to lift a finger, we just behold Him. Where we appreciate Him for Him. So why does this psalm say we should give thanks to the Lord, thanks to God, because He is the Lord. You know what that word is? It's the great I am. <laughs> the tetragrammatons is what, suppose, what is what it's called. The unpronounceable name of God. The I am who I am or I will be who I will be. And it means God is sufficient within himself. He is, has, He has no needs. He is perfection and complete within himself. And praise him that he is that way. He's the only one with whom we might have a relationship with who needs absolutely nothing from us. This will become important later in the psalm, but that's actually really freeing for us. There's nothing we can bring to God that will make him any more him. Give thanks to the Lord. And this Lord, the psalm says, is good. We give thanks to him because he is good. There is no evil in him. He is good, wholly good, and therefore all that he does is good. We can give thanks to him for this. It's it's his very nature to be good. Everything he does is consistent with his goodness. He cannot err. He cannot fail. He is holy, he is righteous, he is just, he is true, he is faithful. He told Moses, the one where we to whom we hear first hear the, the name I am. That he was, quote, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And all of that is wrapped up in his goodness. So, in that name, in what he just said, we have to recognize that there is no real tension. There's just, for us, it's just perceived. There is no real tension in God with all of his attributes. If he is good, wholly good, and this psalm proclaims that he is, when we think of the potentially not-so-pleasant parts of God, when we think of the justice of God, for instance... We should never, ever think about it apart from his goodness. I would hazard to say that it's pretty easy for us, many of us, to think of God's mercy as part of God's goodness. Oh, sure, we say, if God is good, of course he's merciful. He wouldn't be a good God if he wasn't. Which is true. But are we willing to stand on the same true ground that also says, If God is good, of course he's just. He wouldn't be a good God if he wasn't. And that is true too. It's just that when we admit that, we feel the crosshairs on us. Because God's word also teaches that we have fallen away from his goodness. We have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that the just penalty in God's economy for sin is death. Those are the crosshairs of God's goodness. And it's because God is good that he must judge sin. If he just lets lets us get away with it, that's not justice. That's injustice. We don't like that, and that's how sinful we are. Because we're fine with the mercy part for us. That's just so long as the justice is for the other guy. And then we get all bent out of shape when God the good God shows the mercy to the one we think should get justice. And then we get uncomfortable when we talk about start talking about our deserving of the good God's justice. Of the good God's mercy as though. As if we thought mercy were deserved, and that's the whole point of this psalm. It's the point of mercy: is it's being shown what we don't deserve. Give thanks to the Lord; He is good, and He is God of God and God of gods and Lord of lords. You know, no one else can legitimately lay a claim to this, to God's place, God's rule. In fact, everyone who has tried, the devil and then us, has failed and will face eternal consequences for the attempt to dethrone him if we do not trust him that his goodness includes both justice and mercy. We don't trust him as God of gods and Lord of lords. This Jesus, who is King of kings and Lord of lords, as Revelation says. And that means he gets to call the shots. He gets to set up things as he wants. He gets to administer justice. He gets to show mercy. And hopefully this is filling you with some measure of fear on the one hand and some measure of peace on the other. God is God. He's not like us. But that holiness is not something out there as some great, horrible, icy, cold, and cruel being as a lot of people want to make God out to be. You would have to be in some other, entirely other place to to miss this. Right from the get-go of this psalm, the command gives thanks with 26 repetitions of the goodness of God. His steadfast love endures forever. He's not out there with an icy... Cold fist just waiting to crush you. Everything that God has for this earth, everything that God has for you and for me, comes straight from who He is. So we give thanks to God for God, for who He is. And we can give thanks for what He has made. To him who alone does great wonders, verse 4. To him who by understanding made the heavens, who spread out the earth above the waters, who made the great lights, the sun to rule the day, the moon and the stars to rule the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. We can thank God for creation. We thank God for him, for God, and thank God for creation, what he has made. Why can we taste the food at the Thanksgiving table? Have you ever asked that question? Why can we taste it all? And why, why can we taste what is good? If it were just meant for our survival, we just need some bare requirements. Why does it taste good? And why, why, are we, why are we given so much creativity to make so many delicious things? Why can we hear each other's voices? Why can we see the stars on a clear night? Why can we sing? And why do we even feel that cold Nebraska wind that just cuts right into our chests and our, on our faces this time of year? His steadfast love endures forever. See, our God, though He didn't need to create, in His goodness, He is a creating God. And He, He alone, in wisdom, made the heavens, spread out the earth, made the great lights, the sun, moon, and and all the trillions of stars that we can see from our very, very limited point of view in the universe. The heavens declare the glory of God, Psalm 19 says. It didn't just happen. He made it happen, and He is worthy of thanks for it. What we see around us is actually designed for us to enjoy and to glorify Him. And we glorify Him by giving thanks to Him for what He has made. Now, does that strike you as odd that God wants us to enjoy His creation? Maybe you grew up, or maybe you know people who have said something like, or maybe you still believe this, Christians can't have any fun And they don't want anyone else to have any fun either. Maybe your conception of Jesus is he's walking around with a ruler in his hand, and whenever you reach for something enjoyable. But what is God's design? Genesis 1, verses 28 through 31. And God blessed them, He gave abundant good to them. And God said to them, going back to the scripture, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And then we read in the New Testament, the book of James. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. Be deceived about what? Enjoying God's creation. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Creation was given to us to enjoy. We were given the best donut in the world, to use Linda's illustration from Kid's Time, and we were told to eat it. give thanks to God for His creation. So why isn't the thanksgiving then that this psalm calls for because God is God and because of His creation, why isn't it just gushing from everyone's lips all the time? So much good. His steadfast love endures forever. He's Good, he's God. And he makes this astounding creation just to show us a little of what he's like. What more could we need? If we had just enjoyed the creation like God had commanded us at the beginning, we wouldn't have needed anything else. It's beautiful, pristine, awe-inspiring. Where's the disconnect? Romans 1 explains it this way. Verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God, which is part of his goodness, keep that in mind, is revealed from heaven against all what? Ungodliness and what? Unrighteousness of men and women who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What's that truth? Of God's goodness of his creating, to, uh, th- creating this creation for us to enjoy and to give thanks to him. Verse 19 of that passage. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, we, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We refused to praise God as God. We refused to thank him. We wanted him out of the way so we could be our own gods. And because of that, we died. We were sent into exile. We put ourselves in slavery. And the world broke when we said, We know better, or No thanks, God. When you and I are saying, I know better to God, whether in speech or in action, thanksgiving, acceptable thanksgiving, is impossible. And it's even worse. It's impossible for you not to. You can't stop yourself from saying it that's how pervasive sin is in our lives. You see this command, these three commands at the beginning, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord. They condemn us. Because we can't keep it. Why? because dead people can't bring themselves back to life. You can't come back from exile on your own, and you can't free yourself from this slavery. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You can't save yourself. No amount of doing No amount of doing from a spiritually dead person can do anything. And we're all in that boat. So what do we need? We need rescue. We need deliverance. We need to be set free. We need to be resurrected. But when we stare at the holy God, with that question, the next question we have to ask, is God willing to do that? Is he willing to do that for you? Is he willing to do that for me? Is he willing to give you life, you who sinned against him? Is he willing to deliver you, to rescue you? You see, our Thanksgiving is not complete until we read the rest of this psalm. Because the answer is, you bet he's willing. Verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. And down and down and down it goes, verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our He gives food to all flesh. So give thanks to the God of heaven. Are you hearing this? Do you know what this is? This is the gospel. In a psalm, this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The awful news that we cannot give thanks. We cannot keep God's law. We cannot save ourselves, no matter how hard a dead person might try. They can't. We can't. But God can, and He did. What does remem- that remembrance of our lowest state look like? What does His rescue look like? It looks like four things: judgment, deliverance, protection, and inheritance. Verse ten. Do you ever do you wonder why it moves from creation to the striking down of the firstborn of Egypt? I don't know how familiar you are with the story of Exodus. But the Hebrew nation had gone to Egypt to escape from a catastrophic famine across the whole world where God had sent Joseph to bring about the saving of many lives. But as Joseph was mortal, he died. And then the book of Exodus records for us, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And by implication, did not know what God had done. And the people that had fled to Egypt for safety were now slaves. But God, whose steadfast love endures forever, heard their cries for rescue, and he sent a savior deliverer of sorts, Moses, to command Pharaoh to let God's people go. And Pharaoh replied to this with a response that captures oftentimes the posture of our own natures Who is the Lord? that I should obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. And so maybe you know the story next, is that God sends ten crazy, amazing plagues upon Egypt, each to show Egypt, to show Pharaoh, to show the world, and to reassure his people that the God of Israel is a mighty God, whose name is great, who is God of gods and King of kings and Lord of lords. And this final plague, after Pharaoh had so hardened his heart against God's commands, is what we read here in Psalm 136. God killed, out of his goodness, out of his justice, the firstborn of Egypt. The stakes were finally high enough for Pharaoh that he sent the people away, and it is tied with this God this that is tied with this judgment that God's deliverance it was out from among them that God brought them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the red sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever isn't this amazing? God takes, them, takes his people through the impossible to bring them to safety. He brings them into the sea and they pass through on the other side. And just to show that he has truly saved his people, he stops their oppressor, their slave master from coming to get them after he changed his mind, but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. And it's not enough for God to just save from. God is good, and He has a plan to save too. And just to show that He has truly saved, He not only delivers, but He intends and brings His people to an inheritance and the good blessing that He has promised led his people through the wilderness and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. And on the way, he not only guarantees that inheritance, he protects them. Sihon, Og, Amorites, Bashan, nations and kings to the east of the Jordan River in Israel who hated the idea of letting God's people inherit what God had promised them. And so they tried to stop God. And without much ado, in God's perspective, he struck them down and he killed them. Because he's a good God and his steadfast love endures forever. And then, to show how good he is, even more, he gives Israel a bonus inheritance of that land that he, that they conquered from the kings. And you say, well, that's wonderful, Aaron. What does that have to do with me? What does it have to do with us here in this room today? Would God deliver me? I mean, you don't know what I've done, Pastor. I mean, I want these things. I want freedom. I want deliverance. I'll even take an inheritance. But how does this apply to me? Have you ever read a story and asked, who am I in this story? You ever done that? So, in this story that this psalm recounts, who are you? Are you God, striking down the great kings and splitting the Red Sea in half? Nope. Sorry, you don't get that one. Actually, that—that's why you're in, in, in the state you're in in the first place, because you thought you were God in your story. So you have two options. Pharaoh, Sihon, Og, wicked kings, or the Israelites? Who are you? And it's a trick question, because we're both, because you and I are as wicked as Pharaoh and in as much need of rescue as the Israelites And even if you weren't a Pharaoh, there's a couple things you need to know about the Israelites. When it says low estate in verse 23, that's not just about their slavery in Egypt, that's not just about them being oppressed. They too were slaves in sin. In verse 16, when God leads his people through the wilderness, have you ever read what happens between Egypt and Canaan? It's crazy. Israel gets saved miraculously by a God who provides everything that they need. And it's story after story after story of grumbling, complaining, rebellion, the whole way to their inheritance. If Israel was going to be saved and inherit the promised land based on their performance, they would have been sent back to Egypt. So what do you have to offer that God hasn't seen? God knows exactly what they did, their motives for doing it. And he knows exactly what you've done and your motives for doing it. And yet he still saves. He still rescues. He still delivers. He still brings life. But he doesn't just kill the enemy firstborn. He doesn't just split the Red Sea and then kill the enemy kings. No. He sends his own firstborn so to speak. And has him stretch out his mighty and outstretched arms and get tied and nailed to a Roman cross so that anyone who believes in him may pass through the water of his death and be brought to life, freed from the slavery of sin and because he the perfect and loving lord jesus the christ delivered you from delivered you from sin through his death he himself did not stay dead but rose again and not only this <laughs> he gives us an inheritance that is imperishable and unfading as first peter says an inheritance at the physical land of Israel for the Israelites, it just can't compare to. We get the new heavens and the new earth, life forever with God and He with us. No more slaves, but sons and daughters of God. Thank God for the gospel. Worship is thanksgiving. When we see God for who he is, when we see what he has made, when we see what he has done to save, these 26 proclamations of his steadfast love endures forever it's not enough. All of our life is to pour forth thanksgiving to this great God. In the New Testament, we're called to do this over and over. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians 3, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then remember the passage in Ephesians about addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. It goes on to say, Lord willing, that you can obey this next part, which says singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are made to worship from the songs we sing to the scripture we read to the cocoa we serve at the holiday festival to the Thanksgiving dinner and company we're, Lord willing, to enjoy we are to worship the Lord our God, thanking Him for who He is, for what He has made, and how He has saved. Worship is thanksgiving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for choosing to blow us away, though you didn't have to, to blow us away with His good news thank you for sending Jesus that we didn't won't have to stay slaves and thank you that we don't have to earn it thank you that we just have to trust that you did it Lord thank you for your Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin and of righteousness that we might see the state we're in truly see but that we might be able to face you and see him who has paid for us thank you for allowing us to worship this morning Thank you for allowing us to worship with one another. Thank you for allowing us to worship in this series in the Psalms. Thank you for allowing us that worship doesn't stop when we, when we end the service today. Thank you for so many blessings, Lord, for one another. Thank you for our kids. Thank you for our neighbors. Thank you for this nation that we get to celebrate Thanksgiving in. Most of all, thank you for an inheritance with you, in you, that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all these things in his name. Praise God that you came and worshiped with us this morning. We're so glad that you're here. I want to leave us with a blessing from God's word. As we go, as we worship. Romans chapter 16, verse 25 through 27. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of of faith. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen.